The Toho gang travel up, way up to rural Hokkaido with the salesman who always falls in love. It's a real odd couple when Tekia meets Yojimbo in episode 66, Torasan Goes North. And welcome to another episode of Toho Yaro. I'm your host this episode, Joey Weiser, and with always, uh, with me as always, uh, are my co-hosts V. Hey V. Hi Joey. And Alex. Hello Alex. Hello Joey. Hello. So today we are going to be covering Torasan Goes North from 1987. <laughs> This is the what is this? This is the 38th uh, um, Torasan film. So moving uh, further, further, uh, closer to like the end of the series. Uh, this is the the most recent one that we've covered so far. Um, and uh, yeah, and I've seen this a few times. Um, it's a favorite of mine. Um, it's you know I think it stands out uh, because of the. Uh, inclusion of Toshiro Mifune, who we'll be talking about uh, a lot, I'm sure. Um, and yeah, and and I see others. I see this come up a lot when people mention their favorites uh, of the series and stuff too. Um, and this is the first time seeing it for both of you, uh, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Cool. And um, and I assume you didn't really know much about it besides the fact that I had teased that it had uh, Mifune in it, right? That's correct. Yeah, that's the only knowledge I had going in. Okay, cool. Uh, just also, also that he goes north. That's also and he goes north. <laughs> <laughs> he does, in fact. <laughs> um, yeah. So, <clears throat> as for the staff, you know, this is another Yoji Yamada movie. The writer and director of uh, the Torasan <clears throat> series. Uh, we've covered him several times at this point, as well as the main actors: uh, Kiyoshi Atsumi as Torasan, uh, Chieko Baisho as Sakura. Um, some uh, members of the family that we have not covered before. Um, uh, Sakura's son, Mitsuo, in this one is played by Hidetaka Yoshioka. And uh, this is our first film with uh, Yoshioka um, as Mitsuo. Mitsuo, of course, was born at the end of the first film, the, the character, and uh, Yoshioka didn't start playing him until Torsan's Love in Osaka, which is the 27th film from 1981. Um, so I guess when he came in, that would put his character at around like 11 or 12 years old. And so at this point he's like 16 or 17, something like that. High school age. Um, he first started working with Yamada in, uh, a distant cry from spring, which was a year prior to, uh, the first film that he was, uh, cast Mitsuo. And I guess he took a liking to him and, and decided to bring him into the series and he's been in several Yamada films um, outside of Torasan, like The Hidden Blade and The Little House. Um, he's also in a couple of uh, Akira Kurosawa films, uh, Rhapsody in August and Mata Dayo. Um, and he's still acting, uh, besides uh, starring in Torasan Wish You Were Here, the anniversary movie from a couple of years ago. He was also in Fukushima 50, which is one of the Japan Cuts films. Um, and so, yeah, and I think um, we've talked about him a little bit, but um, yeah, it, it was good to finally cover one with uh, Yoshioka here. And then the other kind of like main cast member who uh, we haven't seen yet uh, is Jun Miho, who plays Akemi, the printing press owner's daughter. Um, she's uh, kind of the newest addition to the main roster of characters. She hangs around uh, in a lot of the later movies. Um you know, aside from the Torasan films, Miho's known mainly for being in a lot of pink films. Uh, she is in the, a pretty notorious one called Pink Curtain in 1982, uh, as well as uh, O Takara, uh, Takarazuka from 1982. Uh, those are both prior to uh, her becoming a Torasan mainstay um, in uh, 1984 in uh, Marriage Counselor Torasan. 
Um, since then, she's had uh, a lot of TV work, it seems like. Um, she's on an episode of Midnight Diner, uh, which I've seen a few episodes of and really enjoyed. And I always kind of mean to watch the rest of that. Uh, it's on Netflix. Um, so I'll have to look into that and see which uh, like episode she's on and, and check that one down. Because uh, Akemi is one of my favorite characters and as a kind of late addition to the roster uh i think she's a a, a nice adds a little <laughs> nice spice to the to the mix mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and uh then of course uh toshiro mifune uh plays junkichi ueno the uh kind of grumpy father farmer uh vet <laughs> and we've covered him a number of times as well uh and pretty recently um and so you know I, i'm not going to go through his whole career uh, but this is pretty notable for being towards the end of his career. Uh, out of 185 credits on IMDb, he only has 10 more uh, credits after this film, uh, kind of tapering off to about one credit a year in the 90s until uh, 1995. And he passed away in 97. Um, and he won uh, multiple Best Supporting Actor awards for this role specifically from a few different uh uh, award giving organizations, which I thought was cool. And uh, Keiko Takeshita plays Rinko, Ueno's daughter, and uh, Torres Madonna, uh, the the love interest of this film. Um, she's interesting because she's actually uh, been in three different Torresan films as three different Madonnas. Uh, what? Yeah. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Yamada like must have just taken a liking to her. This is her second of the three appearances. Um, and yeah, and it's they're not the same characters. Um, and he's also included her in some other movies, like a, a class to remember. Um, and it looks like looking through her uh filmography, she's in does a lot of uh like voice acting work. She's in the secret world of Arietti from up on Poppy Hill and The Wind Rises. So a lot of Ghibli oh. stuff. A lot of like Ghibli stuff in the same couple years. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah, it was like playing a lot of like mother, <clears throat> grandmother type characters. That's cool. Um and Keiko Owaji is kind of arguably the other Madonna of this film. Uh, she plays Etsuko, the the barmaid who Ueno is in love with. Uh, she has a long career similar to Mif- Mifune. And in fact, this was kind of a big deal because she, uh, one of her first film roles. Oh, no. Her first film role was in Akira Kurosawa's Stray Dog alongside Mifune. And um, as is often the case with actresses, uh, she has kind of a ton of films over a couple decades and then it drops off in 1967 and she uh, didn't return to actor uh, acting until the eighties after she uh, got a divorce from a uh, fellow actor, uh, Yorozura Kinosuke. Uh, so she, he, she'd been married to him for 20 years and uh, they split up and mysteriously she returned back to her career, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, unfortunately that that's the way it works, but there was a lot of buzz about her coming back to this film and Mifune being in it, um, which actually even led people to suspect uh, with all this kind of big uh, news around this one, that this was going to be the final Torasan film, uh, which is interesting. Um, wow. But there ended up being 10 more after this um, and then <laughs> 12 more total. If you count the anniversary movies and stuff. Um, but yeah, so she, um, She's also in 1989's Torasan Goes to Vienna, uh, along with Keiko Takeshita, the, the other Madonna in this film. So that they return <laughs> in that one. Um, and she's acted off and on until uh, her death in 2014. And uh, the final cast member I wanted to shout out was Kei Suma, who plays the skipper, uh, one of the kind of side <laughs> characters, just because I think he stands out uh, a lot uh, amongst those kind of great side characters that are uh, in this one. And uh, he's in a number of Torasan movies and a, a class to remember and some other Yamada movies like uh, hope and pain, uh, which also has uh, Keiko Owaji in it. So, uh, you know, Yoji Yamada always kind of sh- shuffling around the same actors <laughs> and, and he's from Hokkaido, which I think is a nice, uh, nice touch there. Well, it helps for the immersion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the real Hokkaidoite uh 
error about him. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So the story of this movie is that uh, at the beginning of the movie, Tora comes home to find his uncle has fallen ill and is recovering in the hospital. Uh, his family is keeping the shop open and they're all kind of picking up the slack with uh, his absence uh, with the help of Akemi, um, Taco Shacho's daughter. And um, Tora feels left out and wants to be a part of this, but he's either incapable or unwilling to actually do anything. Um, and <laughs> after <laughs> a bit of, a, you know, uh, not exactly a blow up about this, but he overhears them kind of uh, talking about that and ashamed. He leaves town again. And uh, as he leaves, the now teenage Mitsuo tells Tora that he should reflect on himself. Uh, kind of a burn there as he's leaving. Um, and he has a pretty funny a uh, little like the do- the train door shuts, but you still see Tora like kind of like <laughs> cursing uh, Mitsuo out. Um, <clears throat> so Tora finds himself in uh, Shire Toko, a northern part of the northern region of Hokkaido. So very, very much north, uh, as Alex mentioned. Um, you can and, say like the most north. Yeah. It basically- no, no, norther. Norther, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Yeah. I didn't know how north it was until I looked it up on a map. Um, mm-hmm. It's like a yeah. peninsula. It's like way, way up there. <laughs> yeah, this is basically Torasan goes to Maine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, goes to Alaska. Um, <laughs> so there he meets uh, Junkichi Ueno, uh, Toshiro Mifune, uh, a grumpy old farm vet who... Um, lives by himself after his wife had passed away and he had a falling out with his daughter, Rinko, about her marriage to a Tokyo man. Uh, Ueno is uh, taken care of by Etsuko, a woman in town who who has a close uh, friendship with him. And uh, Rinko does come back, though, and uh, Tora falls in love (laughs) instantly. Um, Rinko and Ueno's relationship continues to be tense as the marriage uh, that he had disapproved of is now dissolved. And um, however, Tora's presence helps kind of lighten everyone's mood. And he lives and works with Ueno and kind of ingratiates himself uh, with everyone in town. Um, Despite Japan being in the midst of a bubble economy, uh, things are not so fortunate in rural Hokkaido, which I thought was interesting. Um, Everything's kind of closing down. People are moving away. Um, I guess at this point, like the industry of like car making and electronics making is booming. But, uh, you know, farming and fishing and stuff was not doing so hot. Um, And so Etsuko's bar is closed, uh, forcing her to decide to move back home. Uh, the locals hold a barbecue to celebrate Rinko's return, and the news comes out that Etsuko is moving away. Um, with the help of Tora's urging, Ueno finally confesses his feelings for Etsuko, and amidst the uh, revelry, everyone's very happy about this, uh, Rinko holds Tora's hand, and he gets the inkling that she may have feelings for him as well. Um, but as usual, this uh, triggers Tora's uh, reflexes to skip town, and uh, he... he flies away and later Rinko moves back to Tokyo and visits Shiba Mata looking for Tora to tell him the good news that her father and Etsuko are in fact going to be married. Uh, However, Tora is out traveling, but he has sent a uh, postcard home letting his family know that he is well and that he is reflecting on himself. Uh, Just as Mitsuo ordered. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah. So, Alex, what did you think about this one? Uh, I loved it. I thought it was really great. Um, I, I loved all the business where Tora is, uh, you know, trying to work at the sweet shop. Um, mm-hmm. Very funny. Uh, is the sweet shop named after him, by the way? This is like a thing that's never been like officially stated. Like at the beginning of the series, it's called um, what is it? it's called Karuma Yacht, which is their last name. And then at some point it just changes to Tora Yacht and it's like it just did that because that's the name of the char- famous character from the movie. I don't know. It it always kind of bugs me. I, I wish that it was Karuma Yacht because it seems weird that they would name the shop after him. But yeah, <laughs> I didn't remember it always being Toria, but I do remember at some point it did change uh, throughout the yeah. bunch of movies that I've watched. Um, 
So I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't note that until just now. Uh, yeah, I thought like, uh, you know, this this movie, of course, follows all the classic Torah tropes and the Torah formula. But um, the reason I like this one a whole lot more is because it's it's seemingly less about Torah and the Madonna and more mm-hmm. about it's more about Mifune and um, like and Rinko's relationship with him. Like yeah. Torah did not seem overbearing at all. Um, and when he falls in love with her, it's not like a, like, oh my gosh, she's yeah. so beautiful. It's, it's a very, it's, it's subtle, uh, because that's not the, like the clear focus is, is, uh, is Ueno himself. Like he's, you know, uh, God, he's such a cool character. Um, yeah, they uh, do that, that, that gag where like Tora is about to leave. He's like, I'm going to just go. And then he yeah. sees the beautiful, uh, girl and decides to stay, but it is like, very understated compared to uh, past ones, you know. <clears throat> yeah, and I do think it's interesting that uh, you know we've seen a movie where Tora works on a farm mm-hmm. um, and uh, <laughs> doesn't do well at all, but uh, no. he seems to be doing okay here. Like he's yeah, actually following of, orders. Yeah, he's still kind of hanging, hanging back and not really doing a lot. Like there's that part where. <laughs> <laughs> where uh, Mifune is uh, helping with that cow giving birth, and he's like, "Tora, help me!" And Tora is just like telling the other guys, "Like pull." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so one of the things that I really like about this movie also is that um, everybody in town is so charmed with Tora. Yeah. Um, he he really fits in there. They really love him. Everything that he does that annoys his family, they love. Uh, mm-hmm. They they love in Shiratoko. Um, <laughs> I, I put it my I put in my notes that he should have stayed. Like mm-hmm. he should have stayed. He would have had uh, such a happy life. Um, and uh, I, I think it's um, it, it's interesting when we get cutbacks to uh, like you know Torres family getting letters and stuff. Uh, um, I wrote down that the audience is Torres family. We're all expecting the same familiar beats, but it subverts it subverts them you know, ever so slightly, Mm. um, by having such, I mean, I haven't seen as many Torasans obviously as you have Joey, but, um, usually, you know, there isn't such a ancillary character like Mifune on board, right? Where everything is sort of revolving. Yeah. It just kind of depends. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Um, Ah, gosh, there's there's a lot of cool stuff I wrote down, but uh, that's the the gist of it, really. I, I think that um, uh, I really like seeing Tora happy and mm-hmm. Tora fit in places, mm-hmm. uh, despite the fact that I also really love um, hijinks. Uh, and Akami is really great. Um, I think I, t- I mentioned this when um, uh, I watched the uh, the couple Tora sons they had uh, uh, during the Japan Cuts Film Festival. Mm-hmm. I mentioned to you that like, oh yeah, Akemi's awesome. She's like a real firecracker. Uh, and I think she's a really cool character and it's sort of interesting that Torasan doesn't fall in love with her. Unless, yeah, no, uh, there's, there's no, there's not, but there, there's a kind of ongoing joke early on where she always tells Tora, like, I want to marry you. There's a little bit of this in this one where she complains about her husband. Um, that's kind of her shtick is that she has this sort of like, it's hard to say, like semi dysfunctional, semi jokingly dysfunctional relationship with her husband that we we never like see. But um, and she always will tell Tora, like, I should marry you. I should run away with you instead. And uh, and <laughs> and yeah, there, there's a few uh, movies that focus more on Akimi that I definitely one of my favorites uh, is one where like Tora and, Kim, and Akimi actually travel around together. And um, I think that that's a really great one that we should cover at some point for sure. Mm-hmm. So oh, I, I uh, realized that the reason I wrote that the audience is Tora's family is um, early on in the movie, the, uh, you know, when uh, they're like, uh, somebody mentions, oh, where's Tora? Oh, we've given up on him. And uh, I wrote, yeah, this is the 38th <laughs> movie. That's like, that's their inner monologue. Like, this is the 38th movie. This is the 38th time he hasn't come home. Of course, you've given up on him. And later on, um, Rinko uh asks Tor if he's ever been in love and then I, I like I finished the sentence for him yeah like 37 or so times <laughs> <laughs> yeah many many times yeah <laughs> I so love it's, that it's, I was gonna say yeah it sort of like plays it it sort of makes fun of the Torah tropes a little bit and I like that 
Yeah, I love that bit at the beginning where Sakura says that they've given up on him because uh, then the the priest, Shishiryu, like mm-hmm. goes by um, Genchan, who's like, you know, doing some chores or something. And he's like, I've given up on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he has the bubbles. I thought that was a really yeah. cute intro for him. Yeah, that, was, that yeah. was really fun. Uh, so what did you think, V? Uh, I feel guilty that this is probably my favorite Torasan movie and that this my two favorites are this one and Wish You Were Here, mm. the movie where Torasan feels like a tertiary character and the one in which he does not appear. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie a whole lot. Awesome. Yeah, I thought you I, I thought there's a possibility that you might. A lot of people do say, like I've seen people say that this is their number one favorite Torasan movie. So I think that's legit. And I think that that point about him kind of like helping another character, I think that does kind of like happen more and more towards the end of the series where we've kind of gone through a lot of the like possible Torasan plots and also that Kiyoshi Yatsumi is like aging and maybe can't quite carry uh, a film all on his shoulders as much. But um, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt, but go ahead. Did you have anything else? This is him at his like most sympathetic and least villainous. Mm -hmm. Like he he doesn't, he's not horrible to Sakura. Um, He he does try to help around the place (laughs) and it's just, it's not that he does something wildly stupid. He's just like incompetent, Mm -hmm. like mildly incompetent at it. And like the saddest that uh, Sakura gets is when she's telling the, the Aesop's fable about Torsan being a grasshopper. Oh, yeah. Um, but otherwise, he's like he does. He's got some buffoonery in there, but it's all like good natured and lighthearted and uh, it is actually like the main driver for the resolution of the the plot. And mm-hmm. like it, this is like good guy Tora instead of. Uh, oafish offensive Torah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I feel like the biggest kind of like, uh, you know, crime that he commits with that trying to help his family out with the shop is when they're trying to give him duties and he keeps being like, oh, I couldn't possibly skewer them. I'd, I'd, I'd worry about poking out my yeah. eyes. And it's like, <laughs> come on, man, you can skewer Dongo, you know, without poking out your eyes. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I, I- I, I do wonder if like Tora has more reverence for people that he's not as familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, he's, he seems like he can be more polite to them. Uh, well, I think depending it's also, on the person. Yeah, I also I also think it's kind of like that thing where it's like, um, things are easier to take in small doses. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's nice. It's fun for Tora to kind of float into your life and be, uh, you know, a silly, goofy, um, you know, <laughs> pixie or whatever. Uh, but when he's like part of your family and you've been like making up for him your whole life and stuff, it's it's probably not as cute, you know? <laughs> um, um, I do. I do really like the the part where he like is in the bar with all these people and his normal like offensive behavior that that everybody is like oh my lord when he whatever the actual like saying he says it gets translated to a oh, yeah. cat with catnip in his fur mm-hmm. uh, whatever lewd thing instead of people being offended they just like crack up and love it yeah. i love that he that like his crudeness fits in so well in this <laughs> setting yeah the side characters are really like uh really boost this movie uh, up a lot. Like it just, there's like, you don't really, the skipper like stands out, but there's also like the bearded guy and the, the younger guy. There's the, you know, those guys are just like a really fun group to have around and kind of be laugh, laughing a lot and cheering on uh, all the characters and things like that. Yeah. It's everybody's friends with each other. Everybody likes each other in this town. <laughs> I love Well, they, you know, except for, uh, they don't really like Mifune very much. Uh, mm. But I, <laughs> I, I think that it's so. The one thing I thought that was a little weird was that they all those guys got together in town to form a Rink, Rinko Chastity Preservation Society. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a joke that didn't completely get translated or something. Um, mm. I don't know what the actual sign said. Like, I, I think that if you knew that, it, it was maybe a joke, uh, but I don't mm. know. That that seemed weird to me, too, and kind of out of nowhere. 
um, felt like something where I wish there was a better translation of these movies. Um, <laughs> I yeah. think the spirit of it is that they all felt like they were big brothers to her. Yeah, yeah, that's what it kind of felt like. Um, something I do want to bring up uh, after because that uh, there's this haunting song that uh, mm. plays while they're on the boat. Uh, so I decided to look it up. Um, and it's called Shiretoko Ryojo, and uh, it's basically the like the theme of the Shiretoko region. Oh, um, cool! And uh, when I looked it up, uh, I found that Chico Baisho does a cover of it. Of course. Uh, <laughs> so I thought that was uh, that was kind of cool. Um, the one thing about these movies that I think is really interesting is that uh, I'm shocked that the Japanese Board of Tourism doesn't produce them because hmm. Torasan seems just like a, a almost a guide to these uh, you know the different prefectures because you know there's a lot of there's a lot of really cool eye candy here. Um, oh, definitely. When they're on the boat, also when, when uh, she's like, "Oh yeah, that's Kamui Watka," and he goes, that "Kamchakta," which, <laughs> which I thought was uh, was funny at the time, but now I think is like I, thinking about where uh, Shiratoko is located. Um, it's even funnier because like, oh, he's like, oh, well, you can see Kamchakta from here. Like that's yeah. I I don't know. I, I kind of a uh, you know my only my only uh, uh, knowledge of Kamchakta begins and ends with risk. Uh, oh, okay. The, yeah, I'm the not board familiar with world domination. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Kamchatka is, I think, uh, I don't know if it exists anymore, but it's uh, a part of Russia. Okay. Um, I did want to say that my my singular disappointment with this film was once we meet Ueno and realize he's a veterinarian, I was really hoping that this was going to be like a low stakes comedic red beard. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. Yeah. Uh, oh, but funny. yeah, we, we just don't get that dynamic between him and Torah. <laughs> no, but I think they have a great dynamic. Like they, they do, do play off of each other kind of like an odd couple, you know, the grumpy straight man and the goofy cheerful guy. Um, I think that, yeah, just to go in my thoughts a little bit, I, I think that they play off of each other wonderfully. And, uh, but, but the, I think the movie is really great beyond that as well. Like, um, a thing I find is really interesting about this movie, uh, that's reflected in this movie is Tora's attitude towards love. Like, mm. um, he's come to understand it as something that's one-sided and that after you confess, you're rejected, you know? And he mentions this to folks uh, in regards to Ueno and Etsuko a number of times. He's like, oh, well, she's mm-hmm. going to turn him down. But yet he still urges Ueno to confess, which I think is really interesting, uh, even thinking that she will reject him. It's like Tora just kind of has come to accept that this is the way things work. Um, uh, and I think that this is interesting because it so much so that like it feels as though he's kind of going through the motions a bit once he realizes that he has a chance with of romance with Rinko. Like mm-hmm. if I had any, if I had to like point to anything that doesn't quite work for me, it's the moment that he like leaves. Like um, it just doesn't feel as motivated as in some of the other movies. Um, yeah. It's just kind of like, he's like, well, this is what I do. Uh, she likes me, so I gotta go, you know. And I didn't quite like feel that usual Taurus on, <laughs> you know, fear of intimacy or whatever it is. Um, but I think it's interesting because I think it does really kind of play into uh, everything that he says to Ueno about confessing to Etsuko and stuff like that. Yeah. I think it, I, I, oh, uh, sorry, you go. Uh, I was gonna say, like, it. I think it's consistent with his character, even if it's like less motivated by what we see in the movie. Mm-hmm. It is his MO to either self-sabotage or if the woman is pursuing him to reject the Madonna. Yeah. So like even if he's like his idea is someone confesses their love and then gets rejected. So he his fear of intimacy is to just preemptively, like I said, self-sabotage or reject himself. So that's what he is doing here. He is just like, well, this is going to end poorly, so I'm just going to preemptively go. Yeah. And even if it doesn't show like why in the movie, we do have 37 other films <laughs> <Exactly>. of, <laughs> of his behavior to, to like inform us. 
I did yeah. think that uh, the ex-husband was going to come back hmm. at the end and uh, and profess his love for Rinko and then get, they get back together. But I'm really glad that didn't happen. That would be uh, the Truck Yarrow version of the story. <laughs> and that's sort of where my mind was, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I'm also glad that she ends up moving back to Tokyo and working in the end. Like, mm-hmm. it, there is a version of this where she gets kind of trapped uh, in Hokkaido taking care of her uh, dad, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think I love that kind of in that little uh, bit at the end, we see that she is, you know, still moving forward with her life. And even though everybody wanted her to stay back in her hometown, she's doing what she wants to do. Um, and so- I feel like in, in spite of Torsan's reaction, when he goes to talk to her, that it, it, didn't feel to me like she was actually interested in him. Obviously, they're close, and she there's the scene where she holds his hand. But you can see when Sakura is telling the parable of the uh, of the grasshopper and the ant. Like once she says that Tora is a grasshopper, there's like a moment where Rinko is actually crestfallen. Yeah, and it's like, oh, this he's not somebody I should pursue. Mm. And so like. Even, and but she likes him, and she mm-hmm. she is close with him. But even when he kind of like does his weird rejection and run away, she's not heartbroken about it. And when she goes to see to visit the candy shop, she's they're like he's not here, and she's like, <laughs> oh, I know. She's not like disappointed. She's just like happy that he like w- was there and like flitting through her life for that moment. Yeah, totally. Um, something else that I know, uh, like think is noteworthy is uh, kind of what we mentioned. Not only is Torres' role uh, kind of diminished in this, that his family is kind of largely absent from this movie besides a few scenes. It, like it doesn't take place in Shibamata, I think, which is a big part of that. I also wonder, I looked and I couldn't find any information about the actor that played his uncle, if he actually was ill or, or working in something else or something like that. Because it is interesting that he's not in a lot of the scenes, uh, even when they're back home and stuff like that. Um, but, but I think their absence is made up for by that cast in Hokkaido, uh, that I think is very strong and vibrant. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and then the other thing that I think is unique about this movie that's worth mentioning is that it does not begin with a dream sequence. Um, mm-hmm. it yeah, it's weird. Begins with this footage of uh, Sakura viewing um, and people gathering and this narration of Tora introducing himself and kind of speaking poetically, but then eventually like landing on his usual introduction <laughs> that transitions into the song and stuff. Um, and I think this kind of signifies the beginning of the series starting to break from formula a bit, uh, as we transition into the nineties, which then ends up, uh, breaking away pretty dramatically as we start to focus more on Mitsuo as he, he grows up. Uh, and I think that's interesting The the dream sequence thing isn't gone for good. Uh, they definitely go back to the, uh, dream sequence stuff, but I do think that that makes this one stand out, um, amongst the others. Yeah, obviously I haven't seen all the films, but from what I have seen, this one does feel in so many ways anomalous. And the fact that Torsan like it fixes things for other people and like ends the film talking about he is he is contemplating himself and trying to better himself. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a, a real genuine thing and not just him talking himself up. Uh, this could be. Uh, like you said, people thought it might be the last Taurus on film. I think it, it, even if this is like winding it down there, he obviously that, that arc's not over, but I can see why people would feel that way. Yeah, totally. Um, so let's talk favorite part of the film. Uh, V, did you have a favorite part you wanted to highlight? Um, Mostly the countryside. I was just really blown away. Mm-hmm. It, like, especially the barbecue, just the gorgeous shots of the the hillside. Um, but yeah, I didn't have any like specific scenes or anything that really stood out to me. I just like all the character dynamics uh, are really what 
what made this film for me. Yeah, totally. Uh, how about you, Alex? Mm. Uh, I think the barbecue is probably my favorite. Oh, yeah. uh, I really love when Mifune confesses his love. He's so stubborn about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote that. I really want to write a character like this character. Um, I don't know. Like he's, he's so, uh, withdrawn, but it's very obvious that he's in love with her and it's, I don't know. Mufune also just slays in this movie. Yes. Like he, without even any effort, uh, I, I just want to remark on how, uh, when he finally starts the car successfully, it's yeah. just this little tiny, like, oh, great, it started. Like, it's very, like, a, it felt like a real genuine reaction. Um, <laughs> and it, it just something subtle like that, but it really it felt, like, you know, real. Yeah, he's, for, he's for a pro. our listeners, there's a, when he first meets Tora, uh, Tora's walking alongside the road, and Mifune drives up next to him and is like, you know, tells him to get in the car, and then he'll take him down the road. But he's, like, saying get quick, get quick because like the car will die and then it dies. Uh, and, and he makes Tora go out and kick the side of the car to (laughs) start it back (laughs) up again. And it's so funny. Like, yeah, it's such a good, like perfect, uh, encapsulation of that character that he's still dragging around this, like mostly dead car, but he's kind of too stubborn to give it up and it's, you know, works well enough for him, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, I really do love that, that barbecue sequence a lot just because, uh, it's very positive. It's very happy. Um, you know, it's a happy ending for two characters, uh, potentially for Torres on and Rinko. And mm-hmm. I really like the dynamic of all the towns, uh, the townies, the members of this club. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I like any scene with all of them together. Really? Like it's, it's, uh, it's really fun to see. Yeah, there's them. a, f- like love Torah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. A thing that I love, uh, speaking of like kind of how everyone else views Mifune's character in that when he finally like decides to confess to, uh, Etsuko and he, he like, he kind of stomps towards everyone and they all kind of fall out of their chairs <laughs> just because his like presence is so much like he's a, got conquerors hockey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man, I was going to compare him to a bear, but that's even better. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mifune is super good. And yeah, that. Um, and speaking of the scenery, uh, that barbecue is in such a like beautiful location uh, up on that hill. Um, my favorite part that I wanted to mention, it's a small scene, but I do often think back on it um, when I think about this movie. Um, is that the evening after Rinko has just come home and Tora is there and Etsuko comes over to visit and then the skipper comes in with a fish, like a flounder or something. Mm-hmm. And he just like goes straight into the kitchen and starts preparing it for dinner. And it's this like scene of like having friends over and someone just pops in with dinner and basically without a word, like goes into the kitchen. It, it feels very idyllic and, and, and homey feeling, you know? And I just really love the the vibe of that scene. And it really like shows everyone's relationships with one another really well, um, you know, and it transitions into this very good uh, serious moment where Rinko tells her dad that she's divorced and we get to see the sort of tension between them. And then it's capped off by uh, the skipper obliviously singing in the mm-hmm. kitchen and Ueno like lashing out at him unfairly. And I just think it really kind of beautifully and succinctly paints a picture and tells the viewer, the viewers, you know, what they need to know about the characters and uh, the story that we're they're unfolding, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to kind of quickly talk about, uh, the opening credits. Uh, I always, I always love the opening credits because you know oh, there's yeah. this, you know they're they're what I like to call like little Charlie Chaplin vignettes, where uh, you know Tora uh, obliviously ends up <laughs> bothering somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, in this, uh, in this one, he uh, walks up to a, a sports drink uh, counter outside uh basically these are the the people who are are help are uh, offering sports drinks to the runners 
we're running this marathon. And he just, mm-hmm. uh, he goes up, he takes a sports drink, he puts some, puts some money on the counter and then he says, thank you. And then leaves. And then the person handing out the sports drink is furious. And, uh, <laughs> And tries running after Tora, but ends up falling, uh, falling down a hill. I Very don't know, comically, I, like yeah. spilling down that hill. <laughs> really funny stuff. I, I, these movies start off so like so funny to me, just because mm-hmm. those those credits, like I'm, I never skip them. They're great. Um, one, the song is a real banger, but two, uh, those little vignettes really crack me up every time. Yeah, man. I so. For the past month and a half, I've been almost exclusively watching uh, Criterion Channel and um, this Japanese Film Fest, which are like relatively, uh, you know, these kind of like heavy movies. You know, some of them are fun and funny, but they're kind of like, I don't know, Criterion level movies. Uh, And I just was like feeling so awesome uh at the very beginning during those credits i remember being like oh yes this like it was this weird like sigh of relief i was like this i needed this i needed something light and stupid <laughs> i needed a lady falling down a hill uh after torasan while the torasan theme plays you know <laughs> it, it was a nice uh, breath of fresh air um, another scene I wanted to highlight is the very end where I thought we were going to have a kind of revisit of that when he's trying to like get through a marching band, uh, oh, but yeah. manages to get across the street to the stall where his uh, assistant is. And uh, one thing I do love about Tora is just like watching him in his element of this like huckster salesman. Mm-hmm. And when he starts like trying to sell all of his garbage from the stall, just his like patter and being like i got a wife and kids at home to feed and his <laughs> partner like being a plant person buying uh pretending to buy uh magazines and stuff mm-hmm. i just loved the the hucksterism there it's fun to see yeah and that guy is like a, i don't know if we've covered anything where that guy shows up but he that other techie is like in a lot of the movies too. And it's, it's always nice to see him cause it's that same kind of like, ah, Torres reuniting with his buddy that he sees on the road. So, you know, he's not like totally, you know, alone all the time. He's, he's got this other kind of like friendly, uh, salesman character that he, he meets up with and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I also just really love the look on his face while he's doing that because he seems so happy. <laughs> the fact that like, this is the, the least troubled part of his existence. Mm hmm is while he's doing this. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's that kind of thing where it's like, this is a legitimate skill that Torah has is he's, he's very, um, uh, charismatic and able to like communicate with people. Like you couldn't see, you know, Sakura or Hiroshi like standing in front of a stall trying to sell this crap to people. But like Torah loves talking to people and it's really what he's best at. You know, he isn't actually best at making sweets. Um, but um, unfortunately it's the life of a, you know, drifter vagrant. <laughs> <laughs> so shall we dance? Um American remake. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it, Oh really? I don't know. I mean, I feel like you can have this kind of story, but I don't see any, it doesn't at any time. I think about taking a Taurus on story and making a remake of it. It doesn't really make sense to me, I guess, because you just remove so many of the elements that make it what I love. But, uh, what, what do you think? Uh, I feel the complete opposite way. And I think in large part because Tora is such a secondary character mm. in this. Yeah. Um, but uh, I am going to say this in the most like <laughs> unironic, unironically positive way. Uh, this whole movie reminded me so much of a Hallmark Channel original. <laughs> like there are half a dozen like. Uh, like stubborn veterinarian in a Northwest Pacific country town (laughs) falls in love with this woman he knew back in high school, but never confessed his love to that. Like, I think this absolutely could be made and like with, with very little adaptation into a, a Hallmark channel original. 
Yeah. Wow. I agree. I stand corrected. <laughs> like you put you put Lyndon Ashby and Kira Sedgwick in there. <laughs> Got yourself a movie. You know, for oh god, Lyndon Ashby of of Mortal Kombat. Uh, <laughs> yes. And White Herb. I uh, when when <laughs> I was bracing myself for what you're going to say, I thought you were going to say like an earnest movie. Oh God! No. <laughs> <laughs> like Ernest is Taurus and and this is a movie where Ernest is sort of a secondary character, but helps two people fall in love. Taurus does have um, a sort of Ernest like quality. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm with you, V. Uh, the uh, the fact that he is kind of in the background, um, you know, definitely lends itself very much to to an American remake. Yeah, but yeah, you wouldn't have like the rich history of 37 movies, but I think you could have like a kind of bumbling salesperson gets stuck in a town kind of like a, uh, it's that movie cars is based on that. I can't remember the name of doc Hollywood, doc Hollywood, <laughs> doc Hollywood S gets stuck in a small town where he ends up being matchmaker for this cantankerous old man. Totally. Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I agree. I see what you mean. Um, so Takashi Shimura award, um, Alex, who would you Mm. give for the outstanding or scene stealing performance? Uh, is it a boring answer if I say Toshiro Mifune? (laughs) You know, I feel like every time he's in a movie, I'm like, I gotta give it to somebody else besides Toshiro Mifune, right? But then he just kind of deserves it. The fact he does so much just kind of like looking grumpy and grunting periodically mm-hmm. is like a testament to his abilities. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. Um, yeah. Did you have any more I, thoughts on that, Alex? I mean, I feel like I <clears throat> I kind of gushed about the weird car car starting scene earlier, but he's great. <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, it helps that it's Toshiro Mifune, of course. Like, he mm-hmm. sticks out like a sore thumb, but he... His character, I think, is really compelling, and I, the looks that he gives are really intense, and you can kind of see what he's thinking while he, like, in his eyes. Um, yeah, I, I gotta give it up for for Mifune San. I yeah, uh, Mifune does a lot with his eyes. We've talked about this like in the Samurai trilogy, like where yeah. his eyes will like dart around, and you see this kind of like fear in his eyes as well as like a fierceness, like. Um, I think a scene where he sticks out a lot as being really great and kind of layered is the part where he and Etsuko are alone and she's like treating his wounds and she basically says like, Hey, we should get married. And he's like, says no, but you can see that he doesn't want to say no. And he's, I think he's kind of doing that same thing. He's kind of looking around and, and shirking away from her, but you can see so much going on in that in that scene. That scene is gorgeous too with the sunset. Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's just a really well shot scene too, and it's it, that's I feel like uh, his that's like his emotional like that that's like the emotional core for that character in that scene. Like here, yeah. this is everything we need to know about these two characters is in this scene. It's 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 awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say he's also got some really solid comedic chops. Like when he's nervously going to confess to Etsuko and he like tries to take a f- drink from his flask that he's already <laughs> screwed the cat back on is like really good, like <laughs> choreography and timing on that. Yeah. <clears throat> so good. Um, who uh, did you pick V? Uh, part of me wants to say Jun Miho as a Kimmy. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, she blows into every scene that she's in <laughs> as a whirlwind. She's mm-hmm. my runner-up, um, for sure. But uh, I, I think for actual impact on the movie, uh, I really love Keiko Oaji as Etsuko. Yeah. Um, just how, like, cool and calm she is for most of the movie. And that, like, the the obvious affection that she has for Ueno and and especially that scene just the way she, like that that whole scene is part of what both what made me feel like this was like a harm, hallmark original uh, just the the cadence of the romance but also like that felt like a scene from a much more serious movie mm-hmm. um and just like her her walking around 
talking to him and being like so casual in his space and getting closer and closer as he gets more uncomfortable. Uh, like as, as good as Mifune is, she is like keeping up with him in every scene. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think it's awesome. I haven't seen stray dogs, but I would love to see, uh, them acting against each other as, as youngsters. Um, cause, um, that makes me very curious. Cause yeah, she plays, I think the bad guy's girlfriend mm. and he's the rookie cop. And then Takashi Shimura is the, like, is, is his like mentor cop we should definitely watch that movie at yeah some point. definitely that sounds very good <laughs> well for uh i will be giving the takashi shimmer award for outstanding or scene stealing performance to hokkaido <laughs> uh this kind of ties into what you're saying v about your favorite part of the film uh i just the scenery in this movie totally knocks me out it's it's so gorgeous uh, like Tora and Rinko on the boat, uh, looking at those hilly islands and that and that barbecue scene that we've been talking about up in the hills. It's just like so perfect looking. Um, in particular, a thing that knocked me out before, I, I had the weird sort of deja vu of being knocked out by this, uh, is this uh, shot of a car driving along the road, but it's like pulled, the camera's placed way off from the road so that we get this overlook of these waterfalls. And it's just like <laughs> totally not necessary for the shot, but it's this like total flex from the cinematographer and and the landscape <laughs> itself. You know, it just like I think it just adds so much. And, and you know, when I think of Hokkaido, I think of snow. Um, but this is, you know, during a different season. And so it's all it's all very, very lush and green. Um Yoji Yamada is from Osaka. I, I looked it up specifically because I noticed that he loves the farmland of Hokkaido. He's set like several films here. And I think his love for the place is, is you know, very clear and, and infectious. Yeah. And talking about the cinematographer flexing, honestly, the the look, the way Hokkaido is filmed the thing it most reminded me of is actually uh, Yodorowsky's Holy Mountain. Oh, yeah. Ah. Uh, just like the outdoor scenes in that and just like how the, how the colors just managed to pop and the framing and everything is just exquisite. Yeah, there's an incredible shot of a silhouette of um, Tora and um, Rinko like sitting on a rock or something by a sunset on the beat uh, and of. Uh, uh, against the uh, the water, it's uh, it's it's very good looking. <laughs> but yeah, I, not not to denigrate the entire uh, Tokugawa Sarayo series, but there are so many elements in this that just make it feel, I guess, elevated uh, to like a higher level of filmmaking mm. than the other films I've seen in series. I, I think in general the cinematography is really good uh, in in the Torasan movies, but um, I think that they just, you know, depending on where they're, they're at, they have more to work with sometimes. But um, I think part of that may also be that I think this is like a decade later mm. than the other Torasans that I've seen. So it's probably like bigger budgets and better technology to work with. That's true. Well, well, well there's always, this is, yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point too. And that, you know, Yamada has been doing this for a while at this point. Like, and we've seen some of the later Torah sons. Like, uh, we've seen what a wonderful family. I feel like the camera work in that is really good, but wish you were here, I think has really great camera work as well. Like, I think there's, yeah. mm -hmm. there's a lot to be said about Yamada's, uh, direction. Um, as, uh, as he gets older and, uh, you know, picks up on a few things. Yeah, Tetsu yeah, he's definitely learning stuff throughout the series. Tetsuo Takaha is uh, credited as the cinematographer, and I believe he is like the cinematographer for most, if not all, of the Torasan movies. Mm. Um, yeah, it's look well. Yeah, it's looking like um, Letterboxd has him as a cinematographer for sixty films, and it looks like a lot of them are Torasan movies. So, <laughs> wow. so he's Yamada's guy. Then. Yeah. Yeah, cool. yeah, it's so that that's really cool just to see the the growth of these. Like the not that the older Torasan films aren't well directed and don't don't look good, but just the fact that they're 
honing their abilities to this point throughout the series. Definitely. Well, cool. I think that uh, it sounds like we all like this one quite a bit, which is nice. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll, uh, you know, give it a few months and we'll maybe uh, hit another (laughs) Torasan movie at some point. I think I've been I I, originally I was going to go to another Lily movie, but I wanted to jump ahead to this one just because we'd been talking about Mifune quite a bit. And the next Lily movie was in the uh, last year's Japan cuts. So I know Alex and I had seen it pretty recently. Uh, so maybe that's what we'll be covering uh, this time next year or something. Uh, whenever we get back to Torazon. Um any other lingering thoughts or closing thoughts before we head out to the outro? Just that like, I I'm still not come around on Torah himself, mm. but I, I feel like you, you broke me on the series at least. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Persistence is key. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's the thing about these uh, movies. Is they, they beat you down, I guess, if you watch enough of them. Uh, or there's enough of them to beat you down if, you, if you're continuously watching them. But um, alright, so Alex, what are we going to be talking about next episode? Uh, next episode, we're going to be talking about the most dangerous game from 1978. Uh, I've always wanted to watch a film featuring Yusaku Matsuda. Uh, so I figured why not, uh, why not next time? Um, I've never seen it. So this is going to be a, a fun one for me, I think. Um, hopefully yeah. for uh, you two as well. Yeah, it's like a funky 70s crime movie. So... Uh, this one, <clears throat> like uh, like Torasan Goes North, is another one that's going to be, you know, you're going to have to kind of look outside the usual places for uh, for it. It's not too easy to see, but I'm sure that uh, it may be on YouTube or places or other places to see movies. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, I, I should mention to listeners that uh, Matsuda, of course, is is infamous for uh, for um, uh uh inspiring anime characters such as Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop and um and most directly Aokiji from One Piece. Mhm. Yeah, and I I'd say that we've as far as the One Piece connection, uh, the other his his sort of other cohorts we've covered pretty well like Bunta Sugawara and Kunie Tanaka. Um actually we haven't done too many movies with uh, Tanaka in it yet, but, um, but we will, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so yeah. And he's the one of the, that sort of trio that, um, that I've seen the least amount of movies. So I'm looking forward to, uh, revisiting. I've seen this one, so I'm going to revisit it and see what, see what I think. All right. So, um, Alex, where can people find you? You can find me at dude exclamation on Twitter. Uh, it's all in word. Uh, pretty easy to find on my post art sometimes uh, and m- opinions and uh, musings about movies and stuff. Uh, also, listen to me every week on the One Piece podcast. Uh, it's always a, a fun thing to do. Um, every Saturday, I'm on Super Art Fight, uh, twitch.tv slash Super Art Fight. Um, by the time this episode airs, uh, uh, the second season tournament may be over, but, uh, but uh, maybe not. Uh, we'll see. Uh, uh, either way, check it out. Um, and at uh, Weeb Simpsons is my shitpost account on Twitter, so check that out also. Cool. And how about you, V? Uh, you can find me at Friska Chat on Twitter, V-R-I-S-K-A-C-H-A-T. Uh, you can also find me in a few upcoming episodes of our sister podcasts, uh, One Piece Podcast Fight Together episodes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's going to be um, one with all three of us supposedly that's right yeah (laughs) so So keep an eye out for those yeah awesome um and i uh am at joey weiser on twitter and joey weiser comics on instagram uh follow instagram for art uh, and illustration exclusively and follow my twitter for that art and illustration as well as uh thoughts about movies and cartoons and anything uh that i might uh think to tweet and um, please check out my graphic novels, Ghost Hog and Merman. 
And please, please, please uh, pre-order my new graphic novel, Dragon Racer, which is coming in June. And so now is the time to let your stores know that that's what you want or, or order online. Um, you can find more information about that if you just Google Dragon Racer, Joey Weiser, or go to my social media for links. Um, if you want a signed copy, you can order that from Avid Bookshop, A-V-I-D, Avid Bookshop. Um, and um, yeah, and and I'm looking forward to everybody reading that. Um, it has some inspiration from uh, some movies that we've covered uh, <laughs> in the past uh, with maybe highly decorated vehicles and things like that. Um, so <laughs> listeners may, might uh, enjoy it in that way. Um, also, it's a fun graphic novel about a dragon who races uh, racing carts. Um, and for the podcast, we are at Toho Yaro on Twitter, uh, where we tweet about our upcoming episodes and about any Japanese movie news or cool tidbits about Japanese film that we might run across. Uh, you can message us uh, on Facebook. Uh, there's a Toho Yaro Facebook page uh, if you prefer, or you can email us Toho Yaro at gmail.com and please subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we'd really, really, really appreciate it. And we definitely appreciate uh, folks that help spread the word by sharing uh, the episode links and, and all that stuff. Uh, let us know if you uh, want us to cover any specific movies or if you want us to have specific guests. We're always open to uh, those suggestions. And check us out next episode for The Most Dangerous Game. Sai.